the J Talk podcast. Yes, 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 yes. Hello and welcome to the J Talk podcast. Ben Maxwell and Johnny Nickel with you. And Johnny, we had a huge twist in the J1 title race on Saturday, and it definitely looks like things are going to go to the wire. Hi, Ben. Yeah, it was, I think, last week. I, I wasn't expecting any twists in this, this current round of fixtures, but we, we definitely got one. And, you know, we've, we've got another bye week, but we've got a lot to look forward to in the upcoming weeks. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to getting down and, and discussing the events at both ends of the table um, with you tonight. So uh, how about yourself? How, how are you doing? Not too bad. And I do have to thank you uh, for your understanding. We're uh, coming to you a day later than usual uh, listeners. And you, as you might have noticed, uh, I had to uh, postpone our recording on uh, Monday night as I'm still getting over a cold. So, uh, yeah, thanks for your understanding, Johnny. And uh, apologies to Stuart Woodward, who was uh, all set to join us on uh, Monday night until I uh, had to pull the pin at the 11th hour. Unfortunately, Stuart's unavailable uh, on Tuesday night, so was uh, yeah not able to join us. But, uh, yeah, we hope to speak to him again very soon. And, uh, well, yes, it, it, as we said, it does look like things are going to go right down to the wire at the uh, the top of the table in J1 after uh, Saturday's uh, events in uh, match day 31. Uh, of course, the, uh, the the match day stretched over uh, three days of the weekend from Friday night through to uh, Sunday evening. And uh, yes, we'll, uh, we'll cover all nine games in this episode. But uh, we'd better begin, Johnny, at the Lemon Gas Stadium in Hiratska, where... Uh, Kobe, it's safe to say, uh, slipped up on a banana skin on Saturday afternoon. They uh, travelled to uh, Shonan, who uh, second from bottom, of course, in the table. The leaders, Kobe, but they uh, had to return home uh, to Hyogo Prefecture with just a point after a a one-all draw in an action-packed and uh, definitely eventful uh, 90 minutes or so of football. Yeah, I think uh, surprising to me was that there was um, there was no Hotaru Yamaguchi in the the VCL lineup. I, I assume he's got some sort of injury. I've not seen any confirmation, but that was the first game he's missed all season, and it it very much seems like his his uh, his leadership and his his skills were, were, were missed by them. But on the the other the other foot, you know, Shonan, they, they're fighting for the lives. They're defensively they've not been great this season, but going forward they've they've certainly caused a lot of teams problems. I think 37 goals in 31 games now, and it, it really looked from the first kind of 30, 35 minutes or so as if they, they really had a, had a proper go at, at VCL, and you know they, they got the rewards from that man again, uh, Yuki Ohashi. And you know if I if I kind of pick out a 14 game stretch, you might say that sounds very cherry picked, and, and you'd be right because I was looking back at his kind of recent form, and since he came back into the team after injury, and well, once he started scoring again, it's been the kind of last 14 games he's, he's been really really effective. He's got eight goals and, and two assists in that stretch. And when I compared them with like um, Anderson Lopez, that's exactly the same number of goals as an assist as Lopez. And compared to you know the, his opposite opposite number on on Saturday, uh, Yuya Osako. Osako's got one more goal and one, one less assist. So he's in he's in very rarefied company. And for for Shonan to to have someone like that, you know, a consistent goal scorer at this time is proved to be absolutely vital because you wouldn't have expected them to take a point from this game, but. You know they've they've taken the game to the VCL that they've got themselves in front. They've unfortunately not been able to, to hold on, but what a vital vital point in a, a kind of game you wouldn't expect them necessarily to take one from. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it was that man, Yuki Ohashi, who gave us Shonan an 11th minute lead, uh, tapping in from inside the six yard box after uh, Hiroyuki Abe's cross from the left. And they almost made it 2 0 just before the half hour, Shonan. But uh, Abe's volley uh, came back off the post, and uh, Kobe could exhale. And they almost equalized 11 minutes before the break, but uh, the Shonan keeper, Daiki Tomi, uh, tipped over Daiju Sasaki's header. Uh, there will be a lot more on uh, Tomi to come, uh, let me tell you. But yeah, Tomi was finally beaten uh, eight minutes into the second half by uh, Yuya Osako. He got his 21st of the season from the penalty spot after a uh, Takuya Okamoto handball was uh, spotted in the box. And I guess from that point, uh, Johnny, with uh, just over uh, half an hour, well, yeah, well and truly over half an hour left in the game, most uh, observers would have expected that uh, Kobe will have uh, settled themselves after equalising and, and would have gone on to take all three points. But uh, Shonan, well, they not only battled their way through the rest, the remainder of the game, but they deservedly... Uh, took a point from uh, from the, the this fixture, and uh, that could obviously be crucial in terms of uh, their survival. But the, I mean, Kobe, it's got to be seen as a as a massive missed opportunity. And I guess the question has to be asked after their uh, their last four games, they were all played against the top six teams, uh, Johnny, uh, either currently top six teams or they were at the time. Um, did uh, did Kobe take their eye off the ball here. I guess this Shonan game was gleaming on the horizon, wasn't it? A, a, a team down at the wrong end of the table that um, on paper would be easier for, for Vissel to take care of, but wouldn't you know it, it's the one that they've slipped up in. So, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, Yamaguchi is obviously a, a huge loss, but uh, this is a, a massive, a massive a couple of points drop for Kobe in the title race. No question. Yeah, I, th- I think you could be right. I mean, obviously, Visa will never come out and say that we took Shonan lightly, and it probably wasn't like even the players themselves wouldn't think that. But you might just be certain points in the in the lead up to the game, like like you say, we've had it so hard the last few games against like the teams right at the top of the league. It, it, it's not even a spoken thing, but it's just a kind of feeling around there. Well, we should be able to go to Shonan and, and win. And yeah, as, as we saw, it's, it's not that easy because Shonan did, didn't have the option to take it easy. They had to wind up and go right from the start. And it probably took Kobe the, the very the, the best part of the first half to, to kind of get up and get going. And, um, you know, it, it did seem like the, the longer the game on, the, their kind of quality and ability on, on the ball did kind of tell and Shonan started to fade. But, you know, the fact that they've only been able to score a, a goal from a penalty um, and I think as you're going to go on to mention, you know, it wasn't, you know, Tommy's not even Shonan's uh, first choice goalkeeper, but they've had an outfield player going goals and they've had what, about nine minutes of injury time and they, they haven't really managed to, to challenge him. I think, you know, there might, there's been a great season for Vissel so far, but there may have been a few harsh words spoken in the, in the dressing room or spoken in the training field at, at Vissel this week because, you know, it, it's just made those those remaining games, you know, the Reds and Nagoya, Gamba, all, all that that more difficult. If they've been able to maintain that their four point gap, you know, it makes it so much easier to go into the Reds game knowing that you could afford to lose. Whereas here, it's, yeah, it's very much a case of what what could have been. If they could just have blown the ball over the net and gone away with an ugly, ugly two one. They'd be sitting so much prettier right now. But now, you know, the the pressure really has been cranked up on them, hasn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, there was definitely some late drama in this one. Tommy was out smartly to deny Jean Patrick inside the last 10 minutes. But then in second half stoppage time, Tommy was uh, stretched off. And as uh, Seanan had made all five subs, their captain, Kazuki Oiwa, had to put on uh, reserve keeper Hiroki Mawatari's kit and play in goal for the last uh, four or five minutes. And yeah, at that point, uh, Johnny, surely the instructions from the sideline, from uh, from the the Vissel staff, has just got to be yeah, rein in the crosses and rein in the shots from distance. But basically, yeah, all Oi was had to do is is make one uh, fairly regulation catch on a uh, a lofted ball into the box, and apart from that, he was basically untroubled for his uh, time in net. So. Uh, again, we've described it as a massive missed opportunity. And I mean, you know, the last four or five minutes, um, Kobe just weren't able to work their way through uh, against a, a, a team, uh, you know, effectively playing with 10 men because, um, you know, they, they'd made all their subs and, and, and the goalkeeper wasn't able to stay on the pitch. So it's, uh, yeah, it's ended in high drama, uh, but it's ended all square. And uh, again, all the kudos has to go to, to Seanan and their organization and their, uh, you know, their fighting spirit, et cetera, et cetera. Cliche alert. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's really won the day here. And um, this uh, this point, uh, one that they certainly would have been expecting, would not have been expecting to bank, rather. Uh, you know, it, it could prove all the difference for them in their uh, in their survival hopes. Yeah, we've seen it several times this season, haven't we, with um, you know, teams playing against 10 men. I know Gamba, an awful example, playing against Urawa and Marinos and not being able to cause problems against a team that just hell-bent on defending. You might think you're down to 10 men it should be easy, but it often doesn't work out that way. Even, you know, again, to use Gamba as an example, when, when Shoran had Kosei Tani as the goalkeeper and they often changed the reserve goalkeeper who hadn't played for a year, there's a tendency to think oh, you can just walk the ball into the net, but you know, there's also a tendency for Shonan are used to that and just protecting the goalkeeper that, that bit more. And by that stage of the game, they're just happy to accept the point. And they did a really good job of, of frustrating Vissel, keeping the ball away from the goal. And as you say, it was just that one catch Oiwa had. And <laughs> you could be forgiven for thinking he was just a, he was just a reserve goalkeeper because he took it very, very well, very confidently. I think for Shonan, what will be good for them going forward, I believe that the first choice song um, is back in training. So I think he must have been pretty close to making a comeback. And they do have two weeks now to the next league game. So, I mean, hopefully, A, Tommy is, is OK. It's not too serious an injury. Um, but B, Song might be back because he, he is their first choice. And although Tommy has done very well and he's never let them down in the past, really, when he's, he's stood in for, for Tani, I think you know, it, it, the last three games coming down to it, um, you know, they still got Nagoya, they've got obviously the massive one we keep talking about against Yokohama FC, and then you've got FC Tokyo. You, you really want your best players playing, and I think they've announced today, Shonan, uh, uh, Kosuke Onose and, and Tariq Elyanusi, they're, they're both out injured. I think they'll probably miss, if not all, all of the remaining three games, probably the two, at least two of them. So, yeah, they need all the all the big experienced players to, to come to the fore to, to like uh, keep building on this charge, because... You know, I was looking at the last last ten games. Shonan have got fifteen points to, to Yokohama FC's eleven. Very good form in the last ten games, and they're in the position where you know they can go into that Yokohama FC game potentially not needing to win, and it's all in Yokohama FC, and they can pick them off in the, the counter. Because you know Nagoya at home could Shonan get a point out of that? Absolutely. Yokohama FC, it's all up for grabs. And then yeah, as we said a few weeks ago, if 
if it's an FC Tokyo side that travelled to the Lemon Gas with nothing to play for and Shonan have to get points, you would bank on Shonan get, getting something. So, you know, if they can get like five, six points from the last three games, I think that would be enough for them. And I think they can take a lot from this, this like not necessarily just the one point, but I think the, the performance as a whole should a lot of guts and determination really dig it out. I think they can, yeah, the training should be good for the next couple of weeks going up to that Nagoya game and then get a positive result there of some sort going to the Yokohama FC game. And yeah, I'm not I'm not relegating Yokohama FC and keeping Shonan up yet. I'm not going to get anywhere near that until after the season's done. But yeah, I think, yeah, very, very positive for Shonan. Be still disappointing, but they still they're still first place. It's not this is not the end of the road. This is just a roadblock. So I, I think they do have what it takes to overcome it, but they're going to have to maybe have a bit of a rethink and, and get a few players, you know, a bit refreshed. Hopefully Yamaguchi will come back and, and they should be good to go for that last three game running. Indeed. So as you said, Johnny, yeah, two weeks between uh, league fixtures now. So uh, yeah, I'm sure there'll be a lot of uh, introspection. Uh, in the Vissel camp as they uh, yeah work their way through processing this result and uh, how disappointing it will have been for them uh, on uh, on Saturday afternoon. But uh, yes, they still uh, sit in pole position with the three games left to go. So we'll have a little bit more on Seanan and their fellow dogfighters in a few moments. But yeah, we did mention it was a huge weekend in the the title race with Kobe slipping up and uh, Yokohama F Marinos well definitely taking advantage and uh, well laying down a marker moving within two points of Vissel with a uh, hugely convincing 4-0 away win down in Fukuoka unsurprisingly sparked by their main man up front Anderson Lopez who's uh, brace inside the first half hour uh, took him level with uh, Osako on uh, 21 goals for the season. Well, actually, as these games kicked off at the same time, uh, Lopez did actually go ahead of Osako in the, uh, the Golden Boot race before Osako drew level with Lopez with uh, yeah his penalty in the second half at the Lemon Gas Stadium. So they were two terrifically taken goals by Lopez. The first one came after a long ball forward from uh, Eduardo in the 19th minute. Uh, found Elber down the left. He, he, the uh, the speedster just got to the ball and uh, pulled it back from the byline. Uh, Lopez volleying in from just inside the penalty spot. And then uh, six minutes later, a, a superb through ball from Jan Mateus and a brilliant touch past the keeper from Lopez made it 2-0. So his uh, wide men giving him the ammunition as I said, inside the first half hour, Johnny and uh, Lopez taking his two goals extremely well. Yeah, this was absolutely like vintage stuff from Marinos. I think Kevin Muscat must have been purring in the sidelines, especially that that first goal. It's that literal inch-perfect pass from Eduardo and then Elbert, brilliant cut back and first-time touch from, from Anderson Lopez. And, you know... We talked. I think I talked to Stuart Woodward before about like when Lopez was at with Sapporo, and you know Sam always used to say about Lopez just bundling the ball over the line, and that's that's exactly right. He just looked a bit clumsy, and he, he just seemed a bit lucky. But I mean, Marinos, he's just it's like a different player. He's he's, he's ascended to a higher plane, and that the quality of his finishing, he's he's just so, so confident. He, he just give him the ball, and he he will score. And you know, I think as as Marinos we, we've mentioned before, they have all these defensive injuries. And I think in this game, they had Kaina Yoshio was at, at left back. And I know he has kind of gone at full back before in during games when something's gone wrong for them. But 
starting at left back, they've got three three left backs were, were missing, um, like Nagato, Koike, and uh, Kato. So the fact that you know Fukuoka again, as Sam has pointed out in the past, that they're really not good at chasing games. So this was perfectly into the Marinos game plan, get getting up, get getting ahead early, getting that two goal lead, and then really bringing Fukuoka out of their, their shell. Because we saw last week against uh, Sapporo, uh, Marinos scored four and they scored three on the counter attack. They scored a few goals against Kaya of the Philippines in the ACL in the midweek, and then you know, but back, bouncing back here, two early goals really killing off the game as a contest. Yeah, absolutely tremendous stuff uh, from the uh, the F Marinos front three with uh, yeah Lopez, obviously the grateful recipient of. Uh, Terrific assists from both Elber and uh, Jan Mateus. It was uh, Asahi Wainaka who uh, applied the, uh, the the killer touch for the uh, the third goal that basically killed off the game uh, three minutes into the second half. A, a long ball over the top by Ken Matsubara was controlled and then slotted home by Wainaka. And it was a uh, yeah, game set and match early in the second half with uh, Ryo Miyaichi eventually providing the icing on the cake with the uh, the last kick of the game in the uh, the ninth minute of second half stoppage time. Uh, Miyaichi initially trying to set up Kota Mizunuma on the counter. Uh, a little bit of um, slapstick in the box as the ball bounced uh, around off a, a number of players before Miyaichi eventually uh, slotted home uh, to make it 4-0. And, uh, yeah, give F. Marinos and their goal difference a another slight bump up. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this was uh, a terrific performance uh, from start to finish for, for F. Marinos, uh, Johnny. And, I mean, if we uh, if we needed any reminding of their quality, then, uh, yeah, they more than displayed their their full range of attacking prowess on uh, on Saturday afternoon. They showed that, yeah, just despite the the injuries in in other areas of the pitch that yeah they're still lethal going forward and well one of the main reasons I wanted to get Stuart on is uh, to ask him if he was getting major flashbacks to 2019 or not because I mentioned I'm getting over a cold and it might be a, a slight fever I've been dealing with Johnny but uh, yeah I've been getting the cold sweats thinking about 2019 all over again and how F Muddy knows. Uh, pipped FC Tokyo to the title uh, that season four years ago. I mean, well, I say pipped. They ultimately obviously won it by six points after uh, uh, overtaking Tokyo in, in the last few weeks. With uh, with three games left of that season, uh, F Marinos trailed Tokyo by a point, and Tokyo had just wrapped up their eight-game road trip after being uh, displaced by the Rugby World Cup. Uh, uh, Tokyo had uh, two home games to play before the uh, the final game of the season at the Nissan Stadium loomed. And wouldn't you know it, the first one of those home games was against Shonan and uh, Tokyo drew 1-1. And their opponent in the game after, also at home, Urawa Reds. Who's Kobe's next opponents? Urawa Reds, after they've just played Shonan. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> the, the similarities are eerie, Johnny. And for F. Marino supporters... Uh, just as they did back in 2019, they have to hope that they're hitting their straps at the perfect time again. Yeah, I guess it d- depends how much of a glass half full or glass half empty kind of guy Stuart, Stuart Woodward is. Because you know th- this game, Mar- Marinos won four nil, but they only had nine shots and goal in the whole game, according to the the statistics I saw. So, I mean, as someone who's who's watched an awful lot of Scotland playing, I I, I tend to feel like if 
if you get a result like this, that the, the luck's going to swing the other way completely in the next game or the next game or two. But you know, other fans might see it as a as a sign of things to come because you know the, the the attack is just so like from the midfield forward, it's all the the best players are there. It's just they're just in such good form. And you know, you, you mentioned the VCL games here; they've got to play um, Reds next, whereas. You know, Marinos at home to Cerezo, which is, is not an easy game, but at home with Cerezo not really having a whole lot to, to play for, you would fancy Marinos to grind out a result there. And Vissel, you know, could they go to Reds and win? Absolutely. Will they go there and win? I'm not so sure. So you could be looking at a scenario where, where Marinos actually go into the, you know, round 33 in the lead. But I was actually, when I was looking through all the games for this, we'll we'll get to Niigata later, but they're a real sleeper. Niigata are in a good bit of form, and that's Marino's penultimate game. That that kind of screams out as a a bit of a banana skin for me. I think that they finish away to to Kyoto. Um, So, I mean, could Marino's win the the remaining three games and and go on to lift the title? Uh, You you bet. They've got the, the characters in the dressing room that know how to do it. I think they've got a coach who knows how to do it. Mm, I, I, I don't really want to make a call. I don't want to jinx anyone. But, you know, is it possible Vissel Kobe could lift the title, the first ever title? Absolutely. Could, could it um, could it be possible that, that Marinos repeat against kind of, against all statistical odds? If you look at a lot of the kind of stats they're putting up, like the you know nine shots and four goals, um, a lot of it has been just amazing finishing or you know, counter-attacking football. Um, could Marinos kind of continue the, the dynasty? Yeah, it's, it's definitely possible. Uh, it's, it's such a shame, isn't it? I, I know we do have it, you know, Fukuoka are going to be in their first ever Levan Cup final ne- next week, which is a, is a great story in itself. And it's, you know, it's also a chance for, for Urawa to kind of establish their comeback. But, you know, it, it feels a bit for the league. You know, we're, we're building up to this crescendo. We've got, oh, Vissel have dropped points at Shonan. Marinos have just thumped a usually defensively sound Fukuoka. 4-0 away, they're playing great attacking football. You really want to just keep building and building the league, don't you? But we've got this kind of gap, and then we've got another gap. So it's like the we're the last day of October we're talking today, and it's the beginning of December where the league title is actually decided. But you know, right now, just kind of talking about these games, I, I really am excited to see how these how these last three games pan out. I, I honestly, I, I don't know about you, I. I couldn't pick one. Like, which camp would I rather be in? Because, you know, in one sense, you'd rather be in Kobe they're ahead, but then they've got the harder games. Marinos have got a bit of momentum after this result, and they've got the nous. So, you know, it's it's, it's a very, very tough one to, to pick. Is, is there anything you'd like to, to kind of add to that? Yeah, I think as things stand, Kobe, uh, with, it, with it all to do, I think, with it all to, to prove, because as we've said, that they've never been in this position before. And this wobble on Saturday, as uh, I'm sure it must have thrown uh, just a little bit of doubt, at least in the minds of some of the players. So uh, F Muddy knows with, with the championship pedigree and, yeah, as it looks on paper, um, the, the slightly easier uh, three remaining fixtures, even uh, as simple a fact as two of them are at home, whereas uh, Kobe still have to play two away. So... Yeah, absolute knife edge, and uh, yes, too close to call. Of course, extremely 
possible, and some would say even more likely than not, that we'll go into match day 33 with the, with these sides level. Because uh, if uh, if Marinos can beat Cerezo at home and uh, Kobe can manage a draw at Urawa, that would have them both on 63 points with uh, with two games remaining. And I mean that would simply be a, a yeah a, a mouth watering way. To, uh, to to wrap up the season, uh, as you say, Johnny, after uh, match day 32, there is another uh, break in uh, proceedings before the, the final two match days uh, at the end of November and then, yeah, the first weekend in December. But, uh, yeah, it's going to go right down to the wire. I think we can we can say that for definite. And, yeah, um, absolutely uh, massive final three rounds uh, in prospect. All right, so uh, we'll, uh, we'll park the, the top. Top two there um, after uh, obviously very contrasting results on Saturday. But you mentioned the Levain Cup final. So before we move off the the Fukuoka F. Marino's game, uh, obviously a, a hugely disappointing way for Fukuoka to limp into their first ever Levain Cup final, Johnny. Um the uh, the players would have hoped to put on a decent show for their home support before they travel to Tokyo and uh, the National Stadium for the the showpiece occasion against Urawa. But uh, yeah, I imagine uh, that the manager will have them trying to shake off the, the, this disappointment because uh, yeah, a, a, a really uh, disappointing performance and uh, obviously the result goes without saying losing four nil at home. So. Obviously, they'll hope to be at their best on Saturday, but yeah, it, they were certainly a long way from it on uh, on this this past Saturday's uh, evidence. Yes, it's quite quite interesting, isn't it? Because I think if you if you asked fans of any other team, uh, any other J1 team outside of Fukuoka, like what do you think of Fukuoka? You'd say like defensive stability, hard to play against. But you know, they've conceded they conceded four against Kawasaki in the the um, the Emperor's Cup. And they conceded four to Kawasaki in, in the league, and now they've conceded four to Marinos at home here. So you know, I was kind of looking back through the results. They've conceded eight in their last two games, but actually through the previous 13 league games, they'd only conceded eight goals in total. So very, wow. very out of uh, out of character for them. And you know, I think, you know, as good as Marinos were, probably if you replayed that game over 100 times again, Mariners wouldn't score four goals as often as, as they like, wouldn't score four goals again very often, I think, over 100 games, like the way the game was played. It just kind of, everything went Mariners' way and everything kind of went against Fukuoka's way. And they didn't really, you know, they didn't really bounce back from that that early early shock. Um, yeah, I, I think I mentioned a, a few weeks ago that, you know, that the record, uh, the highest they've ever finished in, in J1 was, was eighth a couple of years ago. It, it looks like the way they're, they're kind of sitting there, they're three points behind Kashima and they're, they're only a couple of points ahead of Kawasaki. And I think they've got Gamba next and they've got Urawa and Kashima. So it's not a particularly easy end to the, the, the season. I'd imagine they'll probably finish about eighth or ninth. So no, no record breaking for them. But I mean, I mean, still, it's, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm patronising anyone, but, you know, Fukuoka fans would have bitten your your hand off to be eighth with, with 31 games gone and being the Levan Cup final, like Emperor's Cup semi-final. I mm. don't want to be too harsh on them. It's, I think the result looks a bit worse than it actually is. It, I think 2-0 might have been a bit more of a fair fair reflection. And, you know, as we say, they, they're going to the, the first ever final next weekend and yeah, hopefully they can just put these recent results behind them. Reds are probably not going to score four goals against them, even though they are a very, very strong team. But I think, yeah, I think as, as Fukuoka fans may have headed home or headed to the pubs after the game, they may have felt a bit down about that result, but they, they shouldn't really dwell on it for, for too long, I wouldn't say. 
All right. And yeah, I said last week, I expected them to turn up and, and be at their best on the, the showpiece occasion. So yeah, I certainly hope they can shake off uh, the disappointment from, yeah, their last two uh, league performances, as you say, Johnny, conceding four goals in uh, in both of them. So uh, yeah, hopefully they'll be, uh, they'll be able to uh, yeah express themselves on Saturday afternoon. And uh, yeah, I'm sure uh, Reds, who are of course used to the, the big occasion and the cup final stage, uh, so yeah, in uh, in both of these teams, we're yeah we're hoping for a uh, a terrific occasion and a terrific game uh, to match it at the National Stadium on on Saturday afternoon. A little bit more on Reds to come, but their uh, their league game in match day 31 uh, wasn't particularly eventful, but we will get to it in due course. But uh, for now, let's uh, switch back down to the foot of the table, Johnny. So we've already mentioned how huge that point was for Shonan at home against the Kobe on Saturday afternoon. Well, uh, it was uh, disappointing, uh, a disappointing weekend for uh, for Yokohama FC, of course, at the foot of the table uh, with coming into to match day 31. And they stayed there after a 2-1 defeat up in Sapporo. Uh, Sapporo took a 2-0 lead with the just past half an hour gone in this game, uh, firstly, Yoshiaki Komai headed in Lucas Fernandez's deflected cross in the 18th minute. Uh, Yokohama FC almost got back on level terms seven minutes later, but uh, Caprini shot straight at uh, Shun Takagi. And then, uh, yes, in the 31st minute, uh, Lucas Fernandez released Yuya Asano down the right, and he drove past Boniface Induka before curling a shot in off the inside of the far post for his 11th of the season, but his first in almost two months. It had been a little bit of a dry spell for Asano, but uh, yeah, he was uh, uh, back on the score sheet and made it 2-0 to Consadole uh, in the 33rd minute. Asano thought he'd uh, scored again after uh, Kengo Nagai saved from Komai's long-range shot, but uh, Asano was uh, narrowly offside when uh, Komai uh, shot from distance, so the the goal was correctly disallowed. Uh, Yokohama FC did pull a goal back, but it was too little too late when uh, Induka headed in Shion Inoue's corner in the 91st minute. So, uh, yeah, the point for Shonan and the loss for Yokohama FC means there's a a two-point gap at the foot of the table now. And, uh, well, yeah, I, I guess uh, Sapporo, true to form, Johnny, they, uh, they're they always just going to play their football regardless of the opponent and uh, and the opponent's circumstances. So, uh, yeah, they were good value, I think, for their 2-0 lead and uh, and ultimately uh, hung on for a, a, a steadying three points for them. Yokohama FC, a, a disappointing result that they weren't able to uh, do a little bit better against a team with uh, absolutely nothing to play for. Yeah, I was I was able to actually catch the, the first half of this live at, at one o'clock on, on Saturday here in Japan, and I thought, yeah, the start was a, a little cagey, but then as time went on, I think Sapporo were able to kind of monopolize possession and made a few breaks, and it always seemed a little bit too obvious. Like they had a clear player to pass to, but it was a bit obvious uh, as if, like for example, a, a team with a, a much stronger defense would be able to to read it, and you know, it's quite telling that they've won this game, and then the last game they won was it was a home to Gamba and. Yokohama FC in, in Gamba, I think, uh, along with Shonan and, and Sapporo, were the teams with the worst, like the weakest defences in the league. And I think it was a kind of a case. It wasn't like Sapporo were just banging at the door, but they just kept the ball in in the kind of defensive third of Yokohama FC for, for long enough that 
uh, mistakes came, well, not even like full mistakes, but just kind of small errors. Like the, the first goal, I think Hayashi just kind of idles for a second and Fernandez gets by him to, to flick it over for Komai to score. And then, you know, it's a wonderful finish from Asano. It's not an easy finish, but I think he gets by Boniface and Duca far, far too easily, doesn't he? And mm. it's, it's interesting. You mentioned he, as it's a living goals for the season, even with a bit of a glitch. I think, you know, again, if you'd said to the supporter coaching staff, supporter fans, you get a living goals out of Yuya Asano this season. I think they would be, be very, very happy with that. So in that sense, I think he's going to play with, with house money and it's more his teammates who need to, to step up because I think he's been a really good capture. He's played at wing back. He's played as a kind of inside forward on both sides. So he, he's been a really, really good signing for them. Uh, I wrote down exactly the same as, as you, too little, too late from, from Yokohama FC. I think, you know, in the first half, they had a, a nice kind of little hotline going from Inoue to Caprini to, to Marcelo Hian. Again, though, any time I've kind of seen them play recently, I've always thought that, that looks quite decent, but there's never really any end product. Like as you said, Caprini's shot was, was well saved and they had a few nice breaks, but it always kind of broke down around the edge of the box and they didn't really do any damage. So it's, it's kind of a bit worrying. I think it's something I've mentioned before, you know, they just they can't get enough goals when they're on top and then the defensive mistakes happen at the back and that's quite quite a deadly combination. Um, you know, two two points behind Shona at the moment. They, they do have yeah the, the, the remaining fixtures. So Sagan Tosu away, which they have to take something from that. Then the match game against Shonan, and then the the big problem I think is is Kashima away the final game because I think Kashima to an extent like Shonan playing Nagoya this week. It's like could could Yokohama FC draw with Kashima? Could Shonan draw with Nagoya? Is very plausible. Going from playing for a draw and getting a draw to actually having to actively go and get a win, even though it might only require a one-goal swing, I think that is a much bigger ask. So, you know, I think Yokohama FC, realistically, if they're going to stay in the league, they need to win the next two games. Sagantos are not a great team. They have to go there and beat them. They have to then beat Shonan at home and then potentially take a draw with, with Kashima. I think that would lead them to safety. Going into that last game, having to like, take the game to Kashima away, and you've got people like you, like the set the set plays, and you know Yuma Suzuki in the counter. I think that's just fraught with danger. So a very very disappointing result, and overall quite a disappointing performance, I think, from Yokohama FC here. But yeah, like we said, with with both Shonan and and Visel, there is a two week gap now, so they, they have to do a lot of important work in the training ground, and they really have to be in the right frame of mind, not only for the uh, Tosu game. But then they have a break after that and then getting up for the, the Shonan game. Two massive, massive games in the context of their season and in the context of the, the relegation battle as a whole. Absolutely. So, yeah, that two-point gap uh, at the uh, the foot of the table between uh, Shonan and uh, Yokohama FC now with uh, with three games to go, as as Johnny's mentioned. And, uh, yeah, he's outlined the, the remaining fixtures for the pair of them, of course, they're also still involved in the dogfight are Kashiwa Raisol, Johnny, and they had the, the, the same result as uh, Shonan on the weekend in the only game played on Sunday. Uh, Raisol hosted Kawasaki and that finished 1-1, but I don't think there could be a, a, a bigger contrast in uh, feeling uh, about their result between their two camps. While the Shonan uh, had to hang on at the death with a uh, <laughs> with an outfield player in goal for the last five minutes of second half stoppage time, uh, Kashiwa played 
uh, almost all of the second half against 10 men and with a one-goal advantage, but uh, ultimately had to settle for a point themselves after a, a one-all draw. So, um, yeah, we talk about missed opportunities. Uh, this is absolutely um, – this is the dictionary definition of one, I think, for Raysalt. they we, We've said for so long all they need is another win. All they need is another win. He was one absolutely gift-wrapped for them by um, by Frontale, well, by Doya Tono getting sent off uh, after coming, nine minutes after coming on at half-time. He was sent off in the 54th minute after a, a lengthy VAR check on a foul uh, that he committed on on Mal, Mal Hosoya. And already a goal to the good race hole, but they were unable to, to hang on. And uh, yes, as I've mentioned, it, it finished 1-1, and they will have been absolutely deflated at the full-time whistle, at the, the chance to all but seal their survival, they're, uh, they're they're still unable to breathe easily, are they? Yeah, Kashua, Kashua, Kashua. I mean, I I just can't, can't believe it. I think it was last week we mentioned that that 96-minute goal they conceded at home to Cerezo after missing all the chances, that this has to go into that file with them because they were well worthy of their, their one goal lead in the, in the first half. But I think uh, Jesse L was back for, for Kawasaki. I think he came back in the in the Champions League, but he was in from the start there and he was back like he'd never been away. But even still, I think Mal Hosoya's pace and movement caused caused Kawasaki problems throughout the whole 90 minutes. They had a very tight offside goal go against them. Hosoya hit the outside of the post and then they kind of kind of were pushed back a little bit by the kind of Kawasaki's passing up until that, that 40th minute opener for, for Yuto Yamada. And you know, Savio again. He had a really good game, and I think he's he's first equal with uh, Yuya Osako for for last passes and what a through ball that was, and the, the composure for Yamada to, to finish. Unfortunately, Yamada was then the, the villain in the second half with that awful miss from like three yards out with an open goal. Mm. Ten, ten men, yeah, and yeah, it's. I think you know I don't have much hair left. I'm sure the Kashiwa fans, there's ones with more hair than me. They just must be tearing their hair out. You know, for 40 minutes or just under 40 minutes against against 10 players they're missing an open goal Hosoya was in one-on-one and you just get caught, caught out one time it was uh, Wakizaka it's Wakizaka wasn't really providing last passes but it seemed like he'd set up a player to then set up the chance and it was a, a lovely ball out wide to Yamani and then Gomez who uh, I think he had a pretty good game uh, I know the DAZN commentators kind of stereotype into oh how strong is he but I think he's one of these players he really deserves to be pointed out just how strong he is and I think it's quite difficult for referees to referee him in such that he's actually being fouled, but he's still standing. I think the referees need to be a bit stronger and give more fouls for that. And um, he, he, he impressed me quite quite a bit. And I think he sort of suckers the defenders out the way to create that space for Tachi Banada. And he, he's not, in my book, he's never been the best of, of finishers or best of strikers of the ball, but he's come up with a few few important goals in, in, in recent weeks. And mm. yeah. I mean, Kashiwa, after that, they kind of fell into the problem of they don't really have anyone on the bench. It's a game changer. You basically got Hosoya and Savio have to do something, and they'd done their, their job. Um, so they kind of got gradually more ragged as the game went on. You could almost have seen the Kawasaki nicking it. It wouldn't wouldn't have surprised me. Um, but, yeah, uh, you look at their fixtures now that Kashiwa have got coming up, because, I mean, Kashiwa, they're going to be a big player in this relegation battle for the teams they're playing against, so... Kashiwa away to Kashima next week and then Tosu at home and Grampus away. And as I've just said when talking about um, Yokohama FC in Shonan, again, Nagoya away and 
Kashima away. Could teams in the relegation zone go to those teams and draw? Yeah. Are, are Kashima going to go and win again, away to both those teams? I find that very unlikely. So they, they have to beat Tosu at home. And Tosu, again, is the big banana skin because uh, I think way back, Kashima absolutely battered them away from home, but Tosu nicked a, a 1-1 draw. So they really cannot afford... Because, I mean, what I'm seeing now is they'll probably draw 1-1 at home to Saga and Tosu in a game like this they absolutely deserve to win. So are they going to be able to go and nick a result away to Kashima or Nagoya? I, you know, it's, they absolutely should be nowhere near where they are. It's just so frustrating. And I I cannot imagine what it must feel like to be a Kashima fan. Just, you know, I've been down there with Gamba, but we were just bad. Whereas Kashima, you know, the first half especially, they played like a, like a top half team, like a, a seventh place team they were last season. But, you know, you look at the table and they're, they're only four points above Yokohama FC. They've got harder games to go. They are not safe. They, they should be safe. They probably will be safe, but they're still not safe. And I don't know how they are not safe. I cannot answer that for you. Sorry. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. And well, yeah, the uh, the, the latest example of them, uh, yeah, failing to uh, really put their uh, foot on the throat of an opponent when they had uh, everything stacked in their favour. And uh, yeah, the the home supporters will have left. Uh, he touched it. I. On uh, on Sunday afternoon slash early evening, uh, extremely frustrated and uh, yeah, I can't imagine how it felt in the dressing room for the players as uh, yeah, they basically had the opportunity to seal their survival. It was all uh, stacked in their favour and uh, yes, Frontale have uh, yeah done the business again with ten men and uh, and I think deservedly in the end they're left with a point. They took their chance when it came and uh, as Johnny said, Raisol didn't have enough uh, options off the bench. To uh, yeah, pr- to provide a twist in the tail late on after uh, yeah, both of these sides had a goal disallowed in the the first half for a, a narrow offside. Uh, Johnny's mentioned the Hosoya one that came just before the half hour, and then after Yuto Yamada gave Kashiwa a superb lead five minutes before the break. Uh, the previously mentioned Bafatimbi Gomis uh, scored, but uh, yes, his goal was ruled out uh, for an offside three minutes before the break. Then uh, yeah, we mentioned Diatono came on at half time, but was sent off uh, nine minutes after the break after the uh, the, the VAR check, a straight red for him and uh, yeah uh, Yuto Yamada will be having nightmares about his miss uh, just before the hour uh, he's volleyed over from well Johnny said three yards I think that was being generous to Yamada <laughs> or maybe one and a half yards out somehow he's managed to uh, uh, to volley over and uh, yeah could have put the game to bed there but uh, given an opportunity to hang around in the game uh, Kento Tachibanada uh, drew frontally level with 20 minutes left and yeah it finished 1-1 somehow and uh, Raisol uh, well they banked the point and as Johnny said it takes them four points clear of a bottom club Yokohama FC so well for all we know I mean that might be enough uh, for, uh, for for Raisol at the end of the day at the end of the season if uh, Yokohama FC are unable to scratch out uh, five more points from their remaining fixtures than it will be because the, the goal difference uh, advantage for Raisol is uh, significant enough. I think that, uh, yeah, that's worth an extra point to uh, their buffer over uh, the uh, the cellar dwellers at the moment. But, uh, yeah, they could have well and truly put it to bed on Sunday afternoon, but did not. OK, so that's all the business then from uh, both ends of the table taken care of. Uh, Johnny and I will take a short break and then we'll come back and round up the other five games from J1 Match Day 31.
Welcome back to part two. And next we'll head to the Kashima Soccer Stadium where hosts Antlers took on Urawa on a Saturday afternoon. These are traditional powerhouses of the league. Uh, Johnny uh, met again. There's always fireworks when they uh, clash. But uh, once again, they've uh, drawn their, their fourth consecutive league meeting that has ended with uh, a share of the spoils. Yeah, I guess that there's respect between these two teams, a, a lot of grudging respect, but they, they definitely do do fear the, the the opponent in terms of what they're, they're capable of. And you know, you mentioned it's been been four consecutive draws. It's the the second nil nil between the two this season, so not not a whole lot of action. And you know, I I wrote down in my my first note was that I watched on the the, the zone app the highlights were in the total it was only five minutes and, and three seconds as opposed to the usual eight or nine minutes. And if you chop off the bit at the start of the teams and the bit at the end when they bow, it was actually only three three minutes forty three of of action. And it, it's a nil nil result that you know it, in isolation it's not it's not a terrible result, but for what both of these two teams are kind of kind of looking for. You know, it didn't really help either side. It's you know I mentioned earlier about about Kashima. Um, they're going to play a big part in the the relegation battle because the, the remaining two home games are against uh, um, Kashima and, and Yokohama FC. And you know, it's interesting because they're now they're now seventh in the league, which you know we've mentioned before about all their top five finishes. That that would be their worst league finish if they were to stay there since 2012. And mm. you know, it kind of got me got me thinking like. Is that just a stat I've I've dragged up because there's not an awful lot to talk about in this game, or is it something that like in dressing rooms around the country or around the globe, like the few teams like Fukuoka could get their best ever finish, Kashima and for um, we might talk about FC Tokyo, but the Kawasaki worst finish in, in numerous years. Is it something the players really care about? Like how, how much motivation is going to be there those remaining three games, especially with the kind of gaps in between it? It'll be very very interesting to see, but. You know, the, the, this game, not, not, as we were kind of talking about in the, the green room there in the break, there's not not a whole lot of action, but or like in terms of goalmouth action, but maybe there was more more antics to talk about, not not involving f- football per se. Indeed, indeed, yes, there was, uh, yeah, a couple of uh, yeah decent moments of football, a, a good save from the Atlas keeper. Tomoki Hayakawa to keep out a, uh, a Marius Hoibraten header just past the half hour. Uh, Hayakawa hasn't convinced at times throughout this season, but yeah, he got down well to save uh, low to his left. And uh, very late on, uh, the Antlers midfielder Yuta Higuchi hit the bar with a 20-yard uh, free kick. But um, yeah, one of the, uh, the the real highlights for me was uh, the breakdancing salmon impersonation from uh, Yuma Suzuki after he was fouled by uh, Alex Schultz uh, midway through the second half, Johnny. Uh, phenomenal piece of work from Suzuki. If you haven't seen it, uh, listeners, yet, yeah, check out the DAZN uh, Japan uh, highlights package for this game on uh, on YouTube and as I mentioned, yeah, cut to the bit in the uh, the 67th minute where Schultz fouls uh, Suzuki in midfield and um, yeah, I mean Schultz acknowledges it's a yellow card, but um, yeah, the way Suzuki doesn't roll around on the floor, he literally flings himself up into the air. Uh, landing on his back on, on a couple of occasions to uh, make sure the referee spotted uh, how grossly he'd uh, been violated was, uh, yeah, truly remarkable stuff, even for a, a character like Suzuki Johnny. Um, yeah, to the surprise of uh, no one, uh, the uh, basically the, the the number one provocateur in uh, in the in the J League was at it again, and uh, yeah, just a phenomenal piece of work from Suzuki yet again. 
And I, I'm sure he'd credit himself with entertaining the fans as, as the game itself didn't do an awful lot. So he had to provide a talking point and some entertainment. So that's probably why he, he broke out all the, the breakdancing moves again. But, you know, he's, he, he, has to be, he has to be the heart and soul of, it, of everything, even if there's no goals to talk about or no, no real goal mouth action. Yeah, Suzuki has to be uh, right in the centre of the action. And he's actually quite interesting because... Now, after obviously the start of last season, his antics at Gamba, it's like, what? Who is this guy? What's he? What's he up to? I, I almost kind of sense Suzuki like there's a bit more calculation behind what he does than I, I think before. Maybe when he was younger, he, it was a bit more like, impulsivity, which I think is still there. But I, I think with yeah, as you mentioned, the number one provo- provocateur. I think he he's aware of who he is and how he winds people up. And I think he sort of, yeah, he'll know Schultz, as I've mentioned, is, is probably the best defender, best centre-back in the league. So Suzuki's mind, he's probably going to go for, if I can wind this guy up by acting like an absolute clown and kind of getting away with it, I might try that move because I've tried my footballing moves and it's not been able to get to get by him. Because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the, the kind of antics at Gamba last year was very noteworthy that he was absolutely angelic in his behaviour at Panasonic Stadium this year. He was high-fiving the kids, Gamba kids mascot, had a goal disallowed and he accepted it. And yeah, I, I wonder, he, he would be a very interesting person to, oh, interesting is probably not the right word, but I'd like to be a fly in the wall, maybe in the Kashima dressing room and see what he's really like. Like how much of it is his, his dark, the dark side of him inside and how much of it is he going out there thinking, I'm going to try and wind this person up and I've, I'm cool and I'm calculated about it. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's obviously someone like, he, he winds myself up and he winds a lot of other people up. But in this case, there's not a whole lot to talk about. So I'm, I'm kind of glad he's, he's, he's pulled out his, his dance moves. It gives us something to, to talk about. But, you know, moving, maybe moving on to something a bit more positive with, with, with Reds. You know, I think you, you talked about the, the, the chance from, from Hoybraten. They also had the Ekanit, the, the Thai player. I think he was making his, his debut. It was his debut. It was his second game in the in J1 and he, he fired just over an injury time and even even though it had not a lot of goal mouth action before that if he'd fired them from the edge of the box you can bet your bottom dollar the J League International YouTube channel will be all over that but firing that round the round the world Ekin it's first goal and it's an absolute screamer but mm. sadly it's it's not to be and Reds you know they're, they're mathematically they can still win the league but they'd have to beat Vsel and then they'd still have to win their last two games and hope Vsel lost their last two and Marinos messed up. And considering this is their, their, their sixth nil-nil in the last 17 games, it's statistically you're looking at they're probably going to draw nil-nil in one of their remaining three games, most likely being against Fukuoka, who they not only play in the Levan Cup, but they've also got to play in the league. But I think, yeah, this, this game basically ends any kind of title hopes Reds have, but... I think if you're a Red supporter, you know they've obviously done really, really well in in the Asian Champions League, and they've, they've yeah. I think Sean Carroll was saying last week about you know a lot of like fans from other Asian countries or countries outside of Japan will will see Urawa as being, if not the biggest club in Japan, certainly very close to being that. And in that time of being good in the ACL, a lot of the league form has not really been that good. So. To get back in the, the top three and then hopefully from from their fans' perspective to, to win the Levan Cup. But I saw they got an early win because I think today they announced that Junpei Hayakawa was the, the new hero in the Levan Cup. I think all of these kind of things give the kind of feeling that Reds, that they're not right back at the top of Japanese football, but that they're very much getting there. And we've kind of talked about them building up to something special. 
this might not show it necessarily from an attacking perspective, but I think the defensive half of the team is extremely strong. So I think you know they'll be looking to kind of see out the season well, finish in the top three, lift some silverware, keep scores out on board, and maybe add a couple of attacking talents. And then, yeah, they should very much be looking to be in the, the title race next year. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, good of you to mention uh, Ekinet there and his uh, his effort late on. Uh, came on for the last 15 minutes here uh, at uh, Kashima on uh, on Saturday. So definitely a uh, yeah highly charged atmosphere to uh, to be introduced into. But uh, yeah, looked looked the part and uh, yeah did come close to a first J1 goal, which would have been uh, massive for himself, but also for Reds. Of course, they would have loved to have gotten one over. On, uh, on their traditional rivals, but uh, as we said, ultimately had to settle for a point. But uh, yeah, I, I guess we, we mentioned uh, Fukuoka limping in to Saturday's Levain Cup final, Johnny, and uh, Reds, I guess, in a similar vein, as you mentioned, they've, they've done so well to win the, uh, the the 2022 version of the Asian Champions League. But yes, last midweek, as we mentioned with Sean, he was heading uh, uh, off to, uh, to Saitama, last Tuesday night to catch Reds' meeting with the Pohang Steelers of the K-League. Well, that did certainly not go to plan for Maciej Scorger and his side. A 2-0 home defeat at the hands of Pohang, uh, leaving Reds uh, in uh, second spot in their group, but uh, uh, f- five points behind Pohang with, uh, with three group stage games left to play. So automatic uh, qualification for the, the, the knockout stage does look a, a difficult task for them. And uh, on the back of that defeat and indeed this draw away at Antlers on Saturday, they're uh, hardly going into the Levine Cup final in uh, tip-top shape themselves. Yeah, I think we, we mentioned a, a few weeks back with, with Ralph when we're kind of previewing the, the ACL, I, I mentioned that I thought Red possibly had the, the hardest of all the, the Japanese team's groups. And it, it seems to be proving that way because, you know, Pohang are second in the K-League and, Wuhan, the defending champions from China, that is a real tough group. You're, you're probably looking at a pretty decent side finishing third in that group. And mm. you know, to, to lose 2 0 to Pohang with, with a reasonably strong team out, it doesn't really sort of suggest that you know, this is going to be Red's year. They're going to really have to pull it out. They're going to have to go and beat Pohang away. They're going to have to beat Wuhan at home. They really can't afford to drop any points from, from here, on, here on in. And it's interesting because you know the next ACL game is against Pohang, which is is four days after this Levan Cup final, and then four days after that they've got VCL Kobe. So, you know, where where do they put the the kind of resources? There is is a very interesting question. Um, and again, the fact that VCL is the third of those three games kind of feeds back into the the title race. It, is that Reds game going to be quite as hard as it looks on paper? We don't know. Uh, I think, yeah, I mentioned again in, in a previous episode about, about Reds defeating Gamba in, in 2016. That was the, the last time they, they they lifted the Levan Cup, I think the, the second time in their, their history. But yeah, make no mistake about it, the, the Reds team, the Reds management, the Reds supporters, they will go into this game expecting to win. Fukuoka, I'm sure, would want to win and, and they'll, they'll go all out to, to do so. But I think the pressure really has to fall on Urawa, that despite the fact they're not coming in in great form, that they're higher up in the league, They've got, you know, they've got big name players that have been there in the, the ACL. They're challenging for league titles. They've played internationally. I, I think it's going to be a very tight game. Uh, and uh, despite Fukuoka's recent um, awful defending, I, I don't think there's been more than a goal in it. Maybe, maybe, maybe two if, if you're to push it, like Reds get an early goal and then catching the counter attack late on. But honestly, you know, extra time, potentially penalties w- w- wouldn't surprise me. Um, 
it, it, it's not, I don't think it's my classic, it's not my 4-3, but I think very, very interesting. And I'd, I'd encourage anyone who can to, uh, tune in to, to do so, because you might be witnessing history of, um, of Fukuoka lifting the first ever title, or you could be looking at Reds kind of taking a, another significant step to, to establishing themselves again at, at the summit of Japanese football. Yeah, most definitely. It has a uh, yeah a, a lot to uh, a lot to offer, I think, on, on Saturday afternoon, and uh, yeah, always a, uh, a showpiece occasion on the the J League calendar, and uh, yeah, a lot riding on it. Obviously, it goes without saying uh, for for both clubs, and uh, yeah, hoping for a terrific occasion and a terrific game to boot. All right, so uh, let's move on, Johnny. The uh, the uh, the next game we'll cover was the uh, the the game that kickstarted the match day last Friday night at uh, FC Gifu's Nagaragawa Ground at Nagoya. Grampus were the hosts as they uh, took on Sagan Tosu and uh, this game ended 1-1. Uh, just like the Kashiwa Kawasaki game, each team had a goal disallowed in the first half. But uh, while both of the goals at Hitachi Dai on Sunday were disallowed for offsides, both of the goals here on Friday night were disallowed after VAR checks for handball. First in the 10th minute, uh, Yuji Ono's goal was uh, chalked off after a uh, Yoichi Naganuma uh, handball on a, a ball over the top before, uh, yeah, the ball was uh, relayed on for Ono to finish. In the 31st minute, Ryuji Izumi's curler from the edge of the box came back off the post for host Grampus, but then four minutes before the break, uh, Kensuke Nagai thought he had given uh, Grampus the lead, uh, but uh, Va came to Park Ilgu's rescue. Uh, the Sagan keeper had raced out of his box to chest away a, a long ball over the top. Um, Nagai headed down uh, instinctively uh, as the ball bounced off Park's chest and then rolled into a, a vacant net. But uh, yeah, VAR noticed that as after Nagai had headed down, the ball uh, struck his hand before it uh, he got it under control and uh, and passed it into the goal. So yeah, Park's blush, uh, blushes were spared and uh, the game uh, went into uh, halftime nil-nil. Uh, five minutes after the break, the Tosu defender Kosuke Yamazaki was uh, shown a straight red card for pulling down uh, Kasper Junker 40 yards from goal as uh, the Big Dane looked to uh, to race clear and uh, get a shot away uh, against Park. And indeed, Junker tapped in Tojiro Kubo's pass from a yard out in the 65th minute to give uh, Grampus the lead against 10 men of uh, Tosu but uh, I guess just uh, like as uh, Kawasaki did Johnny uh, Tosu fought back uh, after going a man down and uh, a minute before the end of the 90 Keiman Togashi headed in Ayumu Yokoyama's cross from the left to uh, to uh, uh, grab a dramatic late equalizer for Tosu and indeed they almost won it deep into stoppage time as Sol Kawahara's blast was uh, tipped over by Mitch Langerak as uh, yeah, Tosu went in search of an unlikely winner. But uh, yeah, for, for Grampus, um, more frustration. Uh, uh, another uh, couple of points dropped here from a winning position against uh, a 10-man opponent. And uh, Grampus, the, the season can't end quickly enough for them, I think. 
Yeah, I think we, we, we last week we got that question from from Mike, and I think we we got another question in this week, kind of a bit a bit downbeat on on Grampus in the recent form, and we, we we don't get everything right on this podcast, but I think we can pat ourselves on the back when we do get something right, because I think the discussion we had last week with with Sean Carroll, I think a lot of the points came to to fruition in this game. That's you know, looking back through through Grampus results, that's eleven games in a row that they haven't scored more than just one goal. I, I, they scored, I think they drew 2-2 with Marinos 12 games ago, so it's either been no goals scored or one goal scored. And, you know, putting it home to Sagantosa, they were missing Wang Suk Ho, the, um, the, the best centre-back from the start of this game. They started with a, a midfielder next to Yamazaki at centre-back, then Yamazaki's off with 40 minutes to go. They had no natural centre-backs on the field. They, they had 10 players. How, how, how have Grampus failed to win this game? How have they not killed it off? I think a lot of it comes back to what Sean was saying last week about the the, the culture of the club. They just, just don't go out and express themselves and put two or three on opponents. And, you know, I mentioned last week, people might have kind of written off as a bit of well, it's a Gamba fan talking, but, you know, they were 1-0 up against Gamba for ages and never put the goal, they never put the game to bed and they, they got a couple of let-offs here that they didn't get so lucky. They didn't put the game to bed. They could have gone 2-0 up against 10 men Tosa and killed it off, but they didn't. And, you know, as you say, they, Tosa came back, they got got the equaliser, and then they, they very much could, could have won it at the end with Kawahara's shot, and they, they, they had the possession. So, yeah, I mean, we talk about Kashiwa fans being very frustrated. Grampus, obviously not in the relegation battle, but it's just like what what could be. There very much clearly is a lot of good, good players, a lot of talent there. It's just not being managed or, or used in the, the correct direction, and it it seems like you know if if Juncker doesn't score, that like, not much comes of the attack. You can kind of see Juncker off, then you've seen off Nagoya, and you know they're still they're still fifth. They still seem to no matter how bad you feel they've played or how, how disappointing a result is, they are kind of picking up points here and there, and other teams are dropping off. So they're probably still going to finish in the top six, six or seven, but yeah, I think a real a real rethink is required. That they can't continue you know, next season thirty eight games. They cannot continue to play so many games only drawing or being one goal ahead because you're just going to drop points like you do in in this game. And I think I'm going to come back to Nagoya a bit when we we talk about Serizo because I think there are some some sort of comparisons to make there. But you know, just just briefly on on Sagan Tosu. So I, I wanted to ask you, and while I'm asking Ben, I want everyone at home to kind of have a think about what what you think that the answer to this question might be. So. So Ben Sagantoso have played 31 games. How many times this season do you think they've had more shots than their opponent? Uh, how many times? Mm. Uh, I obviously don't know the answer. You mm. haven't warned me about this question, Johnny. So I'll pick a number out of thin air and say 10. Mm. I, I quite like the, the answer you've chosen because it's lower than that. They've actually six, six times out of 31. So 20, wow. 25 times their opponents have had more shots than them. If if you're a fan of expected goals, they've had a higher xG eight times to to 23 against. That's including mm. penalties. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I again, but both these teams, Nagoya, like Kenta Hasegawa won the treble at Gamba. I, I want to be positive about Nagoya. I like I like Junker. I like uh, Inagaki, Nakatani, Fuji, Langerai. There's a lot to like about Nagoya. Tosu as well, a really likable club. I really like uh, Kawai, what he's what he's done, and some of the players there. Naganuma, Ono. Uh, Iwasaki, but but both of these teams like just like what Tosu are now, you know, they're twelfth and they've only got a minus one goal difference. But if you dig below that, a lot of their stats are very much towards seventeenth or eighteenth in in the league. 
Um, and yeah, I'm sure this this will be music to to Tosu's ears, Tosu fans' ears, but with me writing them off for next season before the season's even finished. But mm. you know, with Machida coming up and apparently targeting like to say Muroya and, and Daniel Schmidt and uh, a few big big names and potentially if, if Shimizu and Jubilo were to come back up, it seems like Tosu might start to kind of look over the, the, their shoulder a bit and you, you kind of wonder, like in years gone by, they, they've really overachieved. So you've kind of looked, well, they're going to lose Hayashi, they're going to lose Matsuoka, they're going to lose this player or that player. This year you feel like the margin might be so thin that even like Kawahara or Naganuma, like if they lost a couple of players and didn't get it right with the replacement, you, you wonder like how that's going to go for them next season. But you know, the, to 12th this season, I think they can they can very much like relax and be safe. But there's been an awful lot of games. I mentioned the Kashua game earlier, games against like, like Gamba, but both games uh, there, you know, they've they've drawn, they've taken points this game as well. But they, they've been battered. I think Nagoya in general like don't dominate teams, but they've had enough chances to to win this game. So yeah, I think there's quite quite important windows, uh, important winters for for both these sides ahead for. For various reasons that Nagoya really to to challenge at, at the sharp end to really get the mentality right to to properly challenge and not just same not just um aim to eke out like one nil victories over teams in thirteenth fourteenth fifteenth and Sagantosu if if they're to avoid kind of falling down into a relegation battle they're going to have to do wonders with the recruitment and also hope Kawaii stays and and is able to de- develop plans going forward but. Yeah, this game not not particularly exciting, not a lot to talk about, which is why I deviated off to, to future plans. But mm. Tosu, you'd be you'd be very happy, you very very happy after the 50th minute to leave with a point. Grandpa's fans r- rightly agitated and, and irritated, especially Hasegawa's not made the best impression. So I, I can very much share anyone's kind of disgruntlement at how things are going at Grandpa's just now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, Tosu, well, they've been a, a top-flight fixture now, haven't they, since their uh, initial promotion? Uh, of course, I remember them coming uh, up to, to J1 for the first time. That was the season when Tokyo returned to uh, to, to J1 after their uh, year of penance in the second tier. And ever since then, it, the uh, after 2011, uh, it, so from 2012 on, yeah, Tosu have been a, a top-flight staple and of course they have flirted with disaster uh, on a number of occasions and have been counted out uh, by uh, various pundits and, and guests on, on this podcast a number of times over the years but they've always managed to to scratch their way through or in you know certain seasons definitely uh, overachieve and um, yeah we'll uh, we'll wait and see one day you you imagine that the, the pixie dust will wear off and and they'll uh, they'll have to um, suffer the, the the pain of relegation, but for now they've uh, you know, and Kawhi obviously deserves so much credit for uh, keeping them around and and more than uh, keeping their heads above water in the last couple of seasons. He's been absolutely terrific, of course, since he's come in. But uh, yeah, a two teams that can be uh, yeah difficult watches at times and 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 yeah can uh, confound and uh, befuddle us and their supporters so uh, yeah it was uh, kind of a uh, I guess a fitting result that it ended 1-1 between these two in the way it did last Friday night so yes the the Nagoya conundrum and the, the Hasegawa conundrum is uh, is one that uh, yeah got uh, at Nickel Hay 
uh, off his uh, off his couch and onto Twitter to uh, to send us a message in the early hours of Saturday morning uh, Japan time, Johnny. Uh, after uh, I guess he was uh, frustrated by this result, and um, yeah, he was saying he has a theory that uh, defensive managers can only ever last for three or four seasons at a club because uh, even if the team's successful, it gets so uh, dull to play that way that the players stop listening to the coach. And uh, yeah, after this uh, result, uh, he wonders if uh, the Hasegawa contract extension is the worst decision a J-League club has ever made. I should note that this was, as I said, sent in the early hours of Saturday morning. So uh, uh, Nickel hadn't seen uh, the new FC Tokyo crest uh, revealed <laughs> on uh, on Saturday evening. So, uh, yeah, he, he wasn't aware that that indeed was the worst decision a J-League club has ever made. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you can sense the frustration and you can understand it because, uh, I mean, we've both lived through it as uh, – as supporters of clubs that uh, Hasegawa has managed before to obviously extremely, you know, high, high levels and high, high finishes. You, you've, you've won the treble under him and uh, Tokyo almost won a first ever league title under him. But yes, when it, when it's done, it's, it does tend to come to a, a, a grinding halt very quickly, doesn't it? As we've mentioned uh, a, a, a numerous times over the last month or so. In in my defence, you only sent me this question just before we started recording, so I I don't feel like I I'm sure I could find many worse decisions if I actually thought about it, but <laughs> none, none, none spring to mind, so I'll, I'll gloss over that part. But yeah, I think I mentioned a few weeks back that it was very surprising. I think you know Hasebe at Fukuoka was the first one confirmed, and that 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 makes complete sense. Hasegawa and Nagoya, I, I mean, I, I'll talk more again. I've, I've alluded to like, in Serizos section but I think both those teams Nagoya and Cerezo I don't understand because they moved away from Nagoya in the sense of Ficadente and Cerezo Lottina so they're like we're not we're not going ultra defensive but both those teams are still playing the same strategy aren't they it's just let's let's try and win one nil but we don't have quite as elite a defense as we did under the previous coach so I don't like what what are they trying to achieve Nagoya especially they have there's a bit of money floating about. You know, they say Morishima came came in from, from Hiroshima. They, they can buy players from other Japanese teams, which isn't the case for all the J-League J- sides. They have a very good 11. They don't have a have a great squad. Um, why they are sticking with Hasegawa, who, you know, you mentioned that he won the, he won the treble with Gamba. He, he won numerous titles with Gamba, but, you know, all of those are now at least seven years in the, in the distance. And, you know, he does have that, that kind of, instant effect he commands respect when he goes into a dressing room but that the longer it goes yeah it doesn't seem to work i think kind of alluded to the fact he he's not he's not as young as he used to be so he, he might be slightly stuck in his ways as well i've won the treble i've taken fc tokyo to second in, in the league you know he, he might think well this worked there so i'm just going to go with this and the young players are maybe not quite as as on board with that i, I kind of feel like yeah a bit like you know, Sean said last week that the first thing he went to was was the coach. Like I mentioned, you can go out, Nagoya can go out, bring in three or four good good signings. But if the strategy is like is still let's just play one nil, but we're not quite as ultra defensive as before. I don't see that as being a mentality that's necessarily going to challenge. Like you know, Marinos, Vissel, Urawa, even Kawasaki have fallen back, but I think the mentality is there. Hiroshima to an extent, Kashima is there. Nagoya and Serizor are just uh, they, something has to change. They have to bring in like a 
a coach or someone that, that's really going to shake things up and get the right mentality, ditch this mentality that it's okay to, to just win 1-0 at home to Sagantosa or 1-0 at home to 15th in the league. It, it, I think we mentioned before, like, you know, sometimes going from second to first, it, it's only one step in the league, but it's often the hardest. And I think that's where Nagoya are at at the moment. They, they're, they're a bridesmaid. They're not, they're not the bride. And, you know, it's going to take a whole culture shift, I think. Hasegawa is not the person to bring that about. I don't really see them winning trophies under him from now on. Um, but where, where they go, they really need to have a plan. They, they can't just go into next season and then get to like round 15 and be eighth and think, right, we're getting rid of Hasegawa and let's bring, in a, let's bring in a dinosaur from somewhere else to just get us through the rest of the season. I think you know, if you're in Nagoya, you're a bright, shiny new stadium with your... You know, your, your Yunkers, your Inagakis, your, your Nakatanis, your Langaraks, you've got a brilliant spine to the team. You have to be looking for, for more. And, yeah, as much as it pains me to be having a go at Kenta Hasegawa in 2023, 2024, I, he's just, I don't see him, I'm prepared to have egg in my face this time next year. I just don't see him being the, the league winning coach, to, to be honest with you. Mm. Yeah, fair enough then. And well, yeah, talking of a, a culture shift that's uh, required, uh, let's move on to FC Tokyo and their uh, their home game against uh, Hiroshima on uh, Saturday afternoon. Uh, well, again, Johnny, it wasn't a great weekend for us. It's uh, it has to be said, both the Tokyo and and Gumbo Osaka uh, losing uh, Tokyo in very meek fashion to uh, Sunfreche Hiroshima at Ajinomoto Stadium. Uh, they almost took the lead uh, eight minutes eight minutes before the break, uh, Tokyo. But after uh, Diego Oliveira crossed from the right, Kashif Ban Gunagande saw his blast hit the underside of the bar, but land on the uh, the wrong side of the line. And uh, Hiroshima were able to clear. And uh, three minutes into the second half, uh, Mutsuki Kato showed a brilliant control uh, to turn and finish after uh, a pass from uh, Shuto Nakano. And it was 1-0 to the visitors. Uh, Ricky Harakawa's terrific through ball found a Dialton down the left. And his cross was turned in by a sliding Hayato Araki for an own goal just past the hour to make it 1-1. But uh, with 15 minutes left, Harakawa gave the ball away. Uh, Nakano found uh, Makoto Mitsuta, who played a 1-2 with uh, Douglas Vieira, with uh, Harakawa standing still and playing uh, Mitsuta onside. Uh, Mitsuta firing uh, smartly past uh, Taishi Brandon Nozawa to make it to 2-1 to the visitors. And uh, that's how it finished. Tokyo finished with 10 men after a straight red card uh, for Teruhito Nakagawa in the fourth minute of uh, second half stoppage time. Uh, Nakagawa rightfully shown an early shower, although just slightly early. It was almost the end of the game for a, a dreadful tackle. Studs up on uh, Nassim Ben Khalifa. And uh, that just uh, wrapped up a another uh, dreadful afternoon for FC Tokyo and their home support. And, uh, well, some would say that worse was to come after the, the club officially wrapped up their uh, 25th anniversary celebrations. They then unveiled their new club crest uh, on the big screens at uh, Ajinomoto Stadium to uh, yeah the, the befuddlement of uh, almost everyone in attendance. And uh, I think everybody who's seen the crest uh, from uh, from that day on has uh, has been scratching their heads as well a um, yeah I, I think a, a crest that might have won 
a, a year seven design contest. But uh, yeah, if you're looking for uh, a crest to represent the the football club of the biggest city in the world, I don't quite think it's up to scratch, uh, Johnny. Um, as a, a veteran of a, a club who went through a slightly controversial rebrand themselves in the the past couple of years. Um, I guess did you have uh, did you have sympathy for me? You know what I'm going through at the moment. I mean, it's obviously not the end of the world. It's just my football club's crest, but um, it's uh, doesn't make any sense to me. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm always of the opinion if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And yeah, this uh, yeah just topped uh, topped everything off really. Uh, and I, I think just a terrible time to be a Tokyo supporter at the moment. Yeah, I, I think as I said in the green room, yeah, after the after the Gamba situation, I, I think re- rebrands and, and club crests, yeah, it's possibly my, my least favourite <laughs> top topic in Japanese football. Uh, what what I will say is that from, from my experience, the more you look at it, the, the more you forget about it and you just kind of zone things out. I think you will get get used to it. I I'd actually I, I I had a really busy weekend and I did see it. And now when you were talking about that, I've got, I've got it up again. And I, I do see what you mean. It, it looks very, very simple. And it also looks slightly like it's orange and blue, like it should be Omiya rather than, than FC Tokyo. Mm. Um, yeah, I think it's one of these things, because when Gamba rebranded, I think they lost 5-1 at home to Sapporo the same day they announced the rebrand. So at least FC Tokyo, they only lost 2-1. You can, can go go with that. Um, I think, yeah... Over time, if you know, if you start winning next season, then I think a lot of this will be will be forgotten. But I think, yeah, as as you mentioned, it's been a pretty pretty rotten season for for both of our clubs. And I was actually quite quite surprised because I was looking back. It looks like FC Tokyo are going to finish in the, the bottom half this year, which would be the first time they've done so since since 2017, and um, the, the season before uh, Kenta Hasegawa actually came in. Um, yeah, the, the, they're 11th. Um, they're actually only, I think they're only three points off supporter who are 13th where they, where they finished back in 2017. But I think you mentioned with Nagoya, I think there's quite a few teams, Gamba, FC Tokyo. I think if, if he offered them the, the, the end of the season right now, they would happily you know, bite your hand off. But mm. yeah, I think we'll, we'll, let's, let's shift on to something more positive, Sanfrecci Hiroshima, because that's since Mitsuta's back, there's, there's 20 points from the last 10 games. They've been, obviously, they've made a lot of waves dominating like statistics, expected goals for, and especially expected goals against. It's really difficult to create kind of clear-cut chances. And, you know, FC Tokyo's goal came from, from an own goal. I, I think you can't really fault Araki for, for that own goal because even if he hadn't touched it, then Nakagawa's going to put the ball in anyway. Maybe where you could fault them is, I think, FC Tokyo were, were very good. They took a quick free kick, which caught... Um, Hiroshima napping down the left with, with a Dalton and it's actually Araki who plays a Dalton on side, so maybe that's where the, the fault is there. But you know, two two lovely goals. I really really like Kato's goal. The, the way he, he controlled the ball, turned and then fired in. Yeah, I'm sure Ben, if it wasn't against FC Tokyo, I think you could appreciate it too. It was a re- really, really nice finish. And then mm-hmm. yeah, the the, the Michita again with, with the lovely finish. Uh, I mean his hair. I wrote down Rod Stewart. I, I'm sure there must be a better look like than that. I don't know what <laughs> is, that, is that in fashion now with young people? But he, he is quite quite the player, and you know they've got they've got Sapporo, Gamba, Fukuoka to, to finish. You know with, with Red being distracted with Levan Cup and and ACL, they, they might fancy their chances for another third place. But again, a lot of it comes down to you know next season. How how long does Makoto Mitsuda stay fit, and how long does he stay in Japan? Because they really really badly fell apart when he wasn't there. But when he's in the team, they look like a genuine like genuine title contender don't they 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, they left Ajinwato Stadium with a uh, deserved three points on Saturday afternoon. And uh, as Johnny said, yeah, up to fourth in the table now. Uh, goal difference ahead of Nagoya. And yeah, just three points behind Reds uh, with uh, three games left to play. All right, so yeah, it wasn't a great uh, for Tokyo on Saturday, and indeed it's uh, it's been a uh, yeah a, a very much a season to forget for Tokyo. And of course, listeners, I am well aware there are more important things uh, going on in the world than uh, my my club having a new crest and me not liking it. But uh, yeah, just allow me to vent for uh, yeah a couple of minutes there, and uh, yeah, we'll move on with the rest of our lives. And as you say, Johnny, I, I will get used to it, even though um, yeah. I don't think it'll ever make sense to me, but uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll move on. And as we said, it wasn't a great uh, weekend for for Gumba either. The Osaka Derby took place on Saturday with the Cerezo, the hosts, and they took an early lead through Leo Ciara, a a run through midfield from uh, Kapishaba, and his uh, through ball took a slight deflection off the boot of uh, Shota Fukuoka. Uh, Ciara ran onto it and uh, finished with a plomb past Masaki Higashiguchi, who was then called into action to make a, a low save from a Masaya Shibayama shot with the Kapishaba then heading just wide. Uh, Takashi Usami dragged a shot wide uh, before half time as a Gumba looked to get back into the game, Johnny. But uh, yeah, they were unable to to, to find a, a route back into proceedings and uh, that Leo Ciara goal remained the difference between this, the two sides yeah this I mean it's an Osaka derby but again I mentioned last week Gamba and Nagoya felt a bit end of season this is a bit of an end of season feel to it too you know I have to say I feared the worst when, when Serizo went 1-0 up after 10 minutes and you know you mentioned that a couple of decent chances in the first half that that was Sammy's shot was, was Gamba's only shot in the first half I believe the only onside shot um, I, I've criticised Sarazo a bit for the selection in the past couple of weeks, so I'm going to give them praise where it's due, because I, I like the selection of having both Shibayama come in for a first start, and him and Uwejo were playing ahead of, of Kagawa, that that showed a bit a bit of more intent to, to get A younger and B, you know, get forward and get into Gamba a bit more. They're playing at home to a team that is a, is a rival, but it's also a team that's got a very bad defence, and it's a team that's, that's low down in the league, so that... Serizo in the position in top six really should have been taking the game to Gamba as they were. Mm-hmm. I think if you're a Serizo fan, I think you'd be disappointed it was only 1-0 at the break because you mentioned those two good chances. I think they had a couple of other kind of chances. where There's one where Uejo, he had a player to his left and a player to his right and he, he took on the shot when he was being closed down from about 30 yards out and it really was the wrong, wrong option. And, you know, I've watched Gamba all this season. If, if you can get at them, if you can move the ball quickly from side to side, mistakes will follow. There was one point the ball came to, to Shinji Kagawa and he just had to move it left. He couldn't see it and obviously no one gave him a call. So he took the very conservative step to play the ball back to his right back. And you just wonder, is it like a case of Funaki can't tell Kagawa where to pass the ball or Kagawa just does what he wants? What's what's going on there? Because it was literally one pass and then they were off to the left and a great chance to, to create something. So Serizo, I think, were, were on the front foot more, but... The, the, they, they created some chances. They also wasted the opportunity to create some chances. And a, a bit like we said with, with Nagoya uh, earlier, I think Serizo fell into that habit of they, they kind of came out and they didn't really press home their advantage in the second half. And they, Gamba were, were very poor attack-wise. Uh, Joan Alano was missed out and it never really got, got going. 
But, you know, 97th minute, um, Kim Jin-hyun pulls off a save from, from Jabali. And, mm. and you're thinking, like, you know, Tosu grab, grab a goal against Nagoya. All that needs to do is take a, a touch off someone in a crowded box and it flies into the back of the goal. And, you know, Serizo fans would have said, oh, Gamba got lucky. But, I mean, did they really? You had your foot on Gamba's throat and you didn't take advantage of it. So, I, yeah, so, so I don't want to be negative on Serizo because they've won the derby. They're, they're six. They're, they're way ahead of Gamba. But, I kind of feel these two teams can be put together in the sense that I you could basically get a recording of me from 12 months ago and repeat it now, and a lot of what I've said is still relevant in terms of you know Gamba are still Gamba are still three points shy of the total they picked up last season, and the, the only real difference is this year only one team is going down, so they haven't been worried about relegation for ages. And but we we talked a couple of weeks ago about um, Poyatos potentially staying. That's now being confirmed. And you know, it makes makes views about that. It's obviously like you know, like like name like um, emblem changes as you mentioned, FC Tokyo. It's very difficult to pick out like what the real feeling is from social media because people who want to vent will go there to vent. But there's been a bit of negative feedback to the Poyatos appointment. A lot of people are quite happy and that they've pointed the finger more at the players or the off-field structure. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But you know, this year Gamba, the the, the bottom of the last ten form chart. No wins in the last seven, four losses in a row, no goals in the last three, confidence is low, yada, yada, yada. It's not, you know, it's not been a great end to the season. And like Nagoya and FC Tokyo, we'd happily end it now. Serizo, again, yeah, they've appointed Kogiku. He knows the club inside out. But, you know, basically, as I, as I said, with, with Nagoya, he's, Serizo is still trying to win 1-0 against teams that they should be beating more, more than 1-0. I think it's going to take a whole kind of mindset culture change. They, they've got some good players there. They've brought new players in. Like Leo Sierra's done very well. Kagawa's done well. Kapishaba's grown on me, and I think we'll see more of him next year. Crew, and not just because he was been a bit of a, a bit of a. Well, uh, <laughs> let's just insert a random word that we can't say on the pod uh, at the end of the game. But I, I think um, yeah, he. We mentioned with Kawasaki a couple of weeks ago that they've got a few players that, you know, if that is your team, you're going to finish in mid-table. The more I see Crew, the, the more I think he's not really a top four player. I think he looks good in a mid-table team. Or when he's good, he's really good, but he kind of disappears a bit. And, yeah, I think he's the kind of player you need to be doing a bit better than. And also that they've signed a lot of J2 players who I've been big on, but there's probably a limit to how many players you want to get directly from J2 into your top team at what one time and actually be successful. So I'm interested to see where they go. But I think, again, culturally is where the issue may lie with Serizo. They're too happy to win 1-0 or just see games out. And, you know, Jonic isn't getting any younger. Kim Jin-hyun's not getting any younger. They don't have that elite defence of the Lottina era. So, you know, sixth place looks good, but... Again, like I said, 12 months ago, they've got this platform to build on. They've got loads of good players there. They're getting good results. The defence is decent. They've got an excellent striker in Ciara. Um, but do I really see them challenging for the league title in 12 months? Not not without a massive cultural shift, I'm afraid. And hopefully Poyatos is given the, the, the reign to bring in more players that fit his system that gets Gamba back up there. I'm not going to hold my breath. So, you know, it's a much better season for Serizo than Gamba this year, but I think a lot of work to be done for, for different reasons at, at various ends of the table for, for, for both Osaka clubs in, in the coming months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right then, Johnny. Very well said. Thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll move on then to the, the final game of the round. And, well, we mentioned some clubs that uh, can't wait 
for the season to end. I think on the flip side, Albert X Niigata would be happy uh, playing uh, for as long as possible as they're on uh, quite a run of uh, six unbeaten. And indeed, they're, uh, they actually top the last five form table with uh, 11 points from the last 15 available. Uh, they returned from their trip to Koto on Saturday with uh, all three points after a 1-0 a victory. Uh, the only goal of the game came from uh, defender Taiki Watanabe 11 minutes before the break. Uh, he volleyed in. Yoshiaki Takagi's free kick from deep on the left from uh, from six yards out. And uh, that was enough for Albert XCS to carry on and uh, keep the good times rolling for uh, for uh, hosts Kyoto. Uh, Taichi Hara headed against the post on the hour. And there were some complaints from the, the Sanga players that there might have been a handball in uh, the aftermath of that with the, a, a Niigata defender on the floor, uh, the ball might have struck his arm, but uh, yeah, nothing was, uh, nothing came of that. And, uh, and Niigata went on to record, uh, yeah, another victory, their 10th of the season, and it moves them up to 10 points. Uh, so, sorry, it moves them up to 10th in the table with, uh, as I said, that excellent uh, recent run of results that, uh, well, no one else in uh, J1 can match. So, yeah, you've mentioned that they could be a potential banana skin for Yokohama F. Marinos in match day 33 at the Nissan Stadium, Johnny. And Niigata, they're obviously so uh, wonderful at the start of the season. And, um, yes, they're, they've picked up some momentum again uh, at the right time at the end of uh, proceedings. Yeah, so I'm glad, glad we can end in a kind of but positive with, with Niigata because I, I was looking around that like, where are they in the league, like looking around 14th and 15th, and they had to look all the way up to 10th in the you know, closing in, in in Kawasaki, and yes, it's been a been a remarkable achievement because you know Ito was was such a leader for them in the first half of the year, but they seem to have this system where they change players like all positions, like um, the centre backs are always changing, the midfielders they often they have like three midfielders and they rotate one around the, the attackers. You're never quite sure which eleven you're going to face, and you know, I'm not going to lie that there have been some some bad performances and bit and bad moments, but. They've always had that player like Ito at the start of the season or last little Ota, Mito. They're able to kind of conjure up a moment of kind of almost like genius or magic that other teams in the bottom of the league are, are just not able to do. And even you know, T- Takagi, who was a, was a brilliant player in J2 for the past few, few years, he had a really bad injury at the end of last season, missed the start of this. But that's his th- third assist in the last five games. So you know, different people are putting their hands up at, at, at different times and you know, as you, you said, they're unbeaten the last six, going to two points a game. Even if you stretch it back to the last ten games, they're they're, they're fifth in the fifth in the standings. Um, again, looking back in my Mekan, they're currently in tenth, which would be their best finish since, since 2013 when they, when they were seventh. So, yeah, it's, it's all it's all looking pretty good for them up to the 40 points. So well, onwards and upwards. How how that might help them going forward with kind of recruitment and attracting players or, or retaining players remains to be seen. Kyoto, on the other hand, I think they go into the the, the bag of teams that are quite happily see the, the the end of the the season. That's that's like five defeats in the last ten. They've got they've got ten points, and you, know, you mentioned the kind of late chances. It, it seemed like it wasn't the, the best of games, but after Niigata went ahead, that's when Kyoto kind of came to life. It was a bit a bit too little, too too late, but. Yeah, again, I won't go off in Kyoto yet, but they might kind of fall slightly into the Sagantosu section of if if a lot of moneyed or fancy teams come up from J2, they, they might have quite a bit of 
bit of a rebuilding job to do over the over the winter. But yeah, well, let's let, let's finish in Niigata. It's a, a feel good story, and but both of these teams have to face Yokohama F Mariners, so I'm sure they would have had someone there watching this game. And yeah, it, the J League being being what it is. You could very much see that after the next round of fixtures, Mariners go in front and then throw it away against Alborex and Visa go back in front and we have a thrilling last day of the season. So uh, as a neutral in, in that, let, let's hope that something like that comes about. Absolutely. Amazing, Jay. Uh, Chaos Energy J-League. Yes, we uh, yeah, we can guarantee there'll be plenty more twists and turns in the last of three match days of the top flight season. No doubt about that. And well, Johnny, you mentioned yet yeah, some, uh, some, perhaps some big money clubs coming up from, uh, from J2. Well, uh, yeah, we, we have to celebrate with uh, Machida Zelvia after, uh, well, their promotion was sealed uh, last week. And then uh, this past weekend, they were confirmed as uh, J2 champions. Of course, we mentioned on uh, the two podcasts ago that they had the, the possibility to seal promotion uh, that was done but of course it was completely my fault i forgot to mention it at the end of uh, last week's episode and yeah since then they've uh, they've been pro- uh, uh, guaranteed uh, to be promoted as j2 champions after the uh, the last weekend's results so huge congratulations to all zelvia supporters uh, back in the good old days of uh, monthly j2 specials on big pod way back before uh, j talk extra time ever existed we had uh, alan and dave on the pod as our uh, machida correspondents so huge uh, congratulations to both of them the king and queen of uh, Nozata Stadium, they've they get to see their club uh, promoted to the top flight for the first time ever, and that's absolutely phenomenal for them. And they must be absolutely made up. And uh, yeah, can't wait to see their team take on the big guns in J1 next season. They obviously uh, there's still very murky waters to to find out who will be joining Zelvia in in J1 next season. But uh, yeah, they are confirmed promoted as champions. So uh, just wanted to give a big shout out. To them, and I'm sure Johnny echoes my thoughts there. As we've established, uh, we are both former residents of the city of uh, Machida, so uh, yeah, huge congratulations to Zelvia. And uh, just before we finish, uh, one little bit of housekeeping, Johnny. We mentioned that it wasn't a great uh, uh, week in the Champions League for Urawa last midweek. Well, there was definitely good news and bad news for the J League clubs, uh, weren't there? There were uh, wins for Yokohama F Marinos and Kawasaki. But uh, along with Reds, uh, Kofu lost as well. So uh, the the group stage of the ACL reached uh, the halfway point at last midweek after uh, after match day three. Kawasaki are certainly sitting pretty with the three wins from three. But um, yes, the the situation is definitely not as clear for the other uh, three J League clubs, is it? Yeah, I managed to watch the, the, the Kawasaki game and some, some pretty horrendous refereeing. I think the referee managed to book Jesse Allen. Takai, as they came onto the pitch after they apparently got permission from the fourth official to enter, but the referee said they'd come onto the pitch too early. But yeah, a wonderful goal for, for Marcinho, a really, really brilliant goal to kind of seal the game for them. And they did lose Takuma Ominami to, to injury. I think it was confirmed as an, an ankle sprain today. But yeah, you'd fancy as long as Kawasaki don't lose away to Ulsan, you think they should be quite quite safe. As league leaders, we mentioned earlier, Urawa, they're, they're kind of five points off Pohang. It's, it's, it's going to be tough where they really have to beat, beat Pohang and beat them quite convincingly and then, then hope for results to go their way. They basically have to, to win all the three remaining games. Marinos, you know, they, they had a, a bit of a, 
bit of a shell of a team out. Sugimoto managed to score again, which was good for them. Um, Kaya just kind of came to to defend, and they have to take six points from that that double header. But you know, you look at the league; they've got Shandong, Incheon, Yokohama. They're all on six points. That's another one. You think everyone's going to beat Kaya, and then everyone's going to beat each other. So how how they come out in the mix there, and especially how, if they pick up any more injuries in that competition, how that's going to look. Um, yeah, Kofu. I know the I know the JTEC boys will, will kind of cover that, but I'm kind of in two minds about Kofu because I, I I really I like them as a club. I like how they bring through a lot of young players and, and university players, and I've I've really been on board with the kind of fairy tale that the, the winning the Emperor's Cup and they had the old OG Sam with the flag and it was it was all great. But I kind of came to the reality with this result, like if Kofu keep getting positive results with the reserve team while being unable to get into the J2 playoffs, it, it sort of makes the competition look a bit weaker in certain ways. I think it's good for them to be in there and being competitive, but I don't know if they, if they go too far. I don't know if I'm kind of out of step here, but I kind of feel like if, if Kofu romped the group with the, the J2 reserves, it, it would kind of make it look a bit bad for Rawa, Kawasaki and Marinos. But mm. yeah, uh, hopefully they can get the revenge on Zhejiang in, in the home game and hopefully a few more fans turn up to the, the national stadium. The, the weather's a bit better. Uh, I'm wishing them well. At the moment, it is hard to see more than two of the four teams going through. But, but you know, the Asian Champions League, a bit like the J League, can be can be an unpredictable beast. So it, it remains to be seen. But I think, yeah, I, if I could choose one team to be, it would be, it would be Kawasaki at the moment. They're, they're definitely sitting pretty, aren't they? Yes, most definitely. All right, then. So I think that's all of our business taken care of then. Uh, we've already spoken uh, about about both combatants in uh, Saturday's Levine Cup final. So uh, as uh, Johnny said earlier, if you get the chance, listeners, uh, do check out the the clash. It kicks off uh, just after one o'clock on Saturday afternoon, uh, Japan time. Uh, Fukuoka, a first ever major cup final. And uh, yeah, looking for uh, a big uh, shiny pot for their trophy cabinet for the first time. Uh, Reds obviously experienced in uh, cup finals and uh, big occasions at uh, the national stadium but uh yes they uh, they will uh, relish the opportunity to add uh, more silverware to uh, their trophy case so uh yeah uh, do check out the game if you can listeners and uh, yeah johnny will uh, be reviewing that game on next week's episode and uh, yeah looking ahead to uh the run in in j1 with the uh, three games uh, left uh, three rounds left to play uh, obviously so much to be decided at both ends of the table so uh, yeah enjoy the cup final yourself and uh, i'll speak to you on next week's episode oh, th- thanks very much ben i think we've, we've both had a bit of a, a busy week with this suffering from the cold and a, a full match day so it, it's quite nice to only really have one one game to to focus on this weekend and and also just just to let the, the viewers know because a couple of weeks ago we were talking after the pod about about Machida and just so everyone knows we, we did quickly descend into saying how difficult Machida Stadium is to get to so it was, it was nice talking about that but yeah, yeah that, that, thanks very much Ben I'll, I'll, I'll see you next week Absolutely. All right, then. Thanks, Johnny. And uh, yeah, that's it for this week's episode of the JTalk podcast. Uh, Johnny and I would like to thank uh, at Nickel Hay for his question on uh, on Kenta Hasegawa or his uh, question slash rant, I should say. Uh, we'd like to thank our patrons for their ongoing support on Patreon. If you'd like to get involved, please visit patreon.com slash JTalkPod. And listeners, we'd like to thank you for listening wherever you are. We'll be back next week to chat the Levine Cup final and look ahead to the run-in in J1. Speak to you then. Bye for now.
the J Talk podcast. Yes, 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 yes.